This morning we're going to study something that is um, never fun for a preacher to talk about. It's never fun for anyone to talk about. I mean, let's be honest. Um, However, it's something that, given our culture, given our world that we live in today, it's something that we need to be talking about more, uh, more so than we do. And in a way that's more helpful than we usually do, because the thing we're going to talk about this morning is usually talked about every two years or so when some sort of election comes around, and it's, it's a very polarizing topic. It's a very, um, it's a very heartfelt topic for the people that are involved in it and for the people on the outside that, that have never been involved in it. I, I know people personally. I have good very good friends who have, who have been directly affected by what we're going to talk about this morning. And you'll notice, I haven't put it on the screen yet, because I don't want you to be, I, I started thinking this morning, how do you start a study of this specific topic without just building walls before you ever start? I have friends that, that, that I know when, when this topic comes up, it breaks their heart because they've been involved in it. I have good friends that, that I've known for the entire time I've, I've been a Christian who are faithful brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who have given into this and now they deal with problems because of it on a daily basis. I know people on the outside of the church who have dealt with this who now deal with it on a daily basis because of the, the harm and the hurt and the pain that, that, that comes from it. But it's important for Christians to talk about everything. Can, can we just be honest, okay? It's important that Christians have the wherewithal to talk about things that are painful for other people and maybe in a way that, that, that helps them, but also in a way that stresses the New Testament. Because, you know, we live in a world that, you know, you know how it is, right? If you offend somebody, which is basic, I mean, you can offend somebody by, I don't know, walking down the wrong side of the street these days. You can offend somebody by doing something else and now you've lost a friend altogether, Right? You make some, you know, jovial post on social media or you say something that, that you thought was hilarious that they didn't think was hilarious, which happens to me on a regular basis because I think things are funny that you people don't think are funny. And I tell jokes to myself all the time. And when I tell them to Rebecca, she goes, that wasn't funny. Anyways, but this is a topic that is one of those where Christians have to be willing to talk about it, and able to talk about it in a way that's not going to build a wall, that's going to help the person, but that's also going to stress what the New Testament has to say about it. Because when the rubber meets the road, regardless of what we think about something, regardless of our political opinions, regardless of our emotional uh, opinions, when the rubber meets the road, this book is all that matters, right? So, now, I said all that to say this. This morning we're going to talk about a Christian's view, the practice of abortion, okay? It is not something that we like to talk about, but it's something that in our culture we desperately need to talk about. And we're going to start in Genesis 1 because I think the one thing that we always fail to remember when we're talking about this subject is Genesis 1. So, Genesis 1 verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, 
over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Isn't it interesting, just pause, aside from what we're talking about, isn't it interesting that God set the plan that he was going to create man that he, and that he was going to give them these parameters, these commands. The commands that Adam and Eve had were not strictly, don't eat of that tree. The commands were to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the command that... Isn't it interesting that, that God planned it long before he ever created it? And long before he ever gave those laws. When God sets down a law, it's not just arbitrary. In the, in the spur of the moment, he makes a law. Like, like you and I do, right? God's laws have been set down since the beginning. So anyways, he, he says, let us make men in our image, let them have dominion over these things. Verse 29, behold... I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree and with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to, ev- and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw that what he made, saw that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening, and there was the morning, the sixth day. All right, the one thing we fail to realize when we're talking about this is that what we are talking about is not just, you know, not just another part of creation. It, it would be bad enough if we were talking about it as part of creation, okay? Everything that God has created has been given to us to steward and to to quote-unquote have dominion over. What should the Christian think about things like like taking care of the earth? Well, we've been given it, and it's, it's now ours to take care of, and what we do with it will have repercussions on how God sees us at the judgment. But this is different. What we're talking about is something that is made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 4, You can go ahead and turn over there if you want. In Genesis chapter 4, verse number 8, the text says that Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We we know this this story. If you've been reading the the Old Testament very much, or even if you've grown up around uh, the, the Bible in some fashion, you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel bring their offerings to God. Abel brings offerings of meat, of sacrifice of animals. Cain brings offerings of a sacrifice of, of the ground, of, of, of plants. And somewhere along the lines, God has told them what he wanted from them. Remember, God's laws are not just laid out arbitrarily on the spot. They are planned beforehand. And so at some point... Between Genesis 1.26 when he created Adam and Eve and now in Genesis 4 and verse 8, God has told them that this is what I want you to worship me with, the sacrifice of animals. And Cain did not bring that for one reason or another. We're not here to speculate why he did it. The text doesn't say why he did it. 
But for one reason or another, he does. And God sees Abel's offering and is pleased by it, but he sees Cain's offering and is not pleased by it. And so verse number 8 says that Cain went and spoke with his brother. I wonder what that conversation was like. Was, was, Abel, was Abel comforting? Was he harsh? What, what was this conversation like that Cain and Abel had? To, to the point that it upsets Cain so much. Just, you know, he, he didn't have to be harsh. Cain could have become very mad just because he realized what he had done was wrong. I mean, that's what you and I do on a daily basis, right? Have you ever gotten mad because you realized what you did was wrong? I use driving a lot as illustrations because I believe that this town is full of people who just, I, I guess for some reason the DMV in Columbus just hands out licenses. They don't, they don't check. They just hand them out. But the other day I, I was cut off by someone and I got a little upset. I didn't, I didn't sin or anything, but I got upset. I said, why did this person cut me off? And I realized he didn't cut me off. I actually uh, ran that red light and he was turning and it was completely my fault, right? Have you all ever gotten so mad? When it was your fault and you realized it was your fault. And then I was even madder at myself because I realized what I had done. And I thought, okay, I've got a big sticker of Warm Springs Road Church of Christ on the back of my car. And I just ran this red light and everyone is going to think bad of the church now. And, you know, that's a little insight into my mind. Anyways, Cain gets upset and he kills his brother Abel. This is the first recording of anything like this, okay? In fact, John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12 gives a little more insight into it. Whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a, an issue with weapons or anything, you, you know the statement, right? People will say, well, Cain killed Abel with a rock. Okay, pause. Bad arguments are bad arguments, right? 1 John 3 and verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. That doesn't, doesn't equate in English. But look up the definition of the word murder in 1 John 3.12. It's slaughter. It's the act of butchering. You see, what happened to Abel was Cain killed him and not in a pleasant way. Not in a, it was very violent what Cain did to his brother. It's the first account. And after Genesis 4-8, you have a reoccurring theme in the text of the scriptures. Do not commit murder. Do not, do not commit murder. Exodus chapter 20, do not commit murder. Murder is defined as the, the deliberate taking of innocent human life. Okay, so when Exodus 20 and the rest of the Old Testament and rest of the New Testament say that We should not murder. What it's saying is do not deliberately take innocent human life. If you do, the reason why is not just because God set down a law. It's because God set down that law to protect the thing that is made in his image. And the one thing we fail to remember when we're talking about this subject is that we're not just talking about a group of cells, about anything. We're talking about someone who's created in God's image. The problem with Cain and Abel was not that Cain got upset. It's that he took action, violent action, against the image of God. And this goes far into other topics, right? You've heard people make the claim that if you're going to be pro-life, you need to be pro, you know, 
taking care of the homeless. You need to be pro of this and pro that because it's all life. That's absolutely true. The reason why this topic is so heartfelt, why people just are so polarized on this, is one side doesn't understand and the other side understands that what we're talking about is someone that's created in the image of God. And what we're doing is, in essence, what Cain did in Genesis chapter 4. So, let's talk about this idea of the image of God. In Genesis chapter 9, we have another one of these recountings of this law. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God made him in his own image. Acts 17 verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being as even some of our own prophets have said, or poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. The Bible pictures mankind as as having one fundamental command. And that is from the very beginning of, of the human race in Genesis 1. Until now, we have, we have the command that Adam and Eve had to have dominion over the world. That means over ourselves as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, recount, uh, well, are, are, are kind of a, an interpretation of Paul's view uh, and, and the Holy Spirit's view of how we should treat our bodies because what we have what we have is not just a body we are not just a soul that has a body like you may have heard we are created as a dual nature being we have we have been given this body and a soul and we're going to be with this body and soul for all of eternity when we die it doesn't matter if you're cremated it doesn't matter where you go One day, that body is going to be resurrected. You're going to be joined back with that body, and you are going to be with that body for all of eternity in some sort of way. And what 1 Corinthians 6 is doing is Paul is trying to point out that the way we treat our bodies has implication on how we view the image of God. The way we treat other people. Matthew, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Because you're failing to realize the image of God in another person. And the question of abortion comes down to do we recognize the image of God? And so here are three things, very quickly, that that I just want to point out are problems with abortion that I think are outside of what we usually talk about. Because I think all of us here, at least for the most part, um, would agree that, that the act of, of this act in our culture is, is a problem that we need to address. But here are some things that I think we, we don't talk about a lot that we need to. Number one, what we've kind of been talking about is disrespectful to the image of God. It is misunderstanding what the image of God is. We have been given the command, Genesis 1 all the way through the New Testament. The entire New Testament is is in essence a, a recounting of the command that Adam and Eve received to, to have dominion over all the world, which includes ourselves. And that means that when we, 
as a human race, hurt other people, when we kill other people, when we murder other people, we're doing that because we don't understand the image of God. We don't, for whatever reason, we have come to a point in our world where when we look at another person, all we see is a problem. You drive down the road and you see a person walking down the street. And that person may have long hair that looks a little dirty and they're wearing dirty ripped jeans and they're, and they're, they're pushing a grocery cart. What we see is a problem, right? We see a problem with society. Well, we should have somewhere for them to go. Or on the other side, well, we should, we should do something so that we don't have to see them. See, we've, we've turned human beings into a problem. Why, why is this such a problem in our society? Because we see children as, as problems most of the time. I understand that there are other arguments, and we can talk about those other arguments later. But the vast majority of the times when abortion takes place, it is because we see another person created in the image of God as nothing but a problem. But the text says things like this, Psalm chapter 100 and verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Acts 17 verse 28. We are his offspring. To misrepresent, to misunderstand, to disrespect the image of God doesn't just happen in abortion. But it is the, it's the pinnacle of this problem. We see other people as nothing more than just an issue that needs to be taken care of. Whether it's through the ballot box and through some sort of socioeconomic fix for, for homeless people or we see some sort of medical procedure to fix the problem of another person. The issue is that, that as a society, and I understand that I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but as a society, we need to know where our world is. And where our world has become is that people are problems to be dealt with in one way or another so that our lives are better. And what we do in doing that is take action against the image of God. Abortion being the pinnacle of that. Because not only are we just trying to push someone away, not only are we trying to hide them or trying to make it so that our lives are better because they're quiet, we're making it to where they never have a chance to begin with. Now, number two. It is a deliberate taking of innocent human life. This is something that is talked about a lot, but not with regard to the Bible very often. I mean, you have the biological arguments, right? And if you don't know those biological arguments, let me go through some of them with you very quickly. The statement is that, you know, a baby is only a baby when they take their first breath. Well, the problem is that the law of biogenesis, now this may be over some of our heads, which is fine. It was, it, it's kind of over my head. I am a preacher, not a scientist. But I understand the law of biogenesis, which says that law, that, that, sorry, that life can only come from life. You can't just e- exist. It's not, that's not how it works. The, one of the reasons why scientists are baffled by the beginning of the 
universe is because law of biogenesis says that life cannot come from non-life. And so they start trying to come up with all these different options, that it was the Big Bang or that it was born on the back of crystals is the newest one. Good luck trying to figure that out. Or all these other things. When real, realistically, if we just go to the scriptures, we can have the answer. Well, I think the same is true for this. You can't have just life spawn from non-living things. It, it, it is life from the moment that that child begins. But let's go to the scripture and look at some things. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I was formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Oh, okay, God could have planned that Jeremiah was going to be a prophet to the nations long before he ever lived. That's true. But the problem is you can't know a person that isn't a person. Right? Before you were formed, I knew you. I knew you in the womb before I formed you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I can't know Ron if Ron doesn't exist yet. Right? I'm glad Ron exists. He's a nice guy. But I can't know someone. God can't know a human being if a human being is not there. And so Jeremiah says that God knew him. He records, rather, that God knew him before he was born. Now let's go to the thing that is on everyone's mind this time of year. Which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this subject now. And I know, you know, the holidays for most people is a time of, of happiness and family and so forth. But... For the vast majority of the world today, there's, there's one child that is on everyone's mind, right? It's the same child that we're here every Sunday worshiping in spirit and in truth, Jesus. So let's see around the time of Jesus what, what happened with, with Jesus' cousin. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth, heard, when Elizabeth this is Luke's uh, aunt, or, sorry, Jesus' aunt, as it were. When, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 12. And this is a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Luke, 12, verse, Luke 2, sorry, verse 12. The passage that, you know, it, it, it is, it's like the most popular thing this time of year because of the celebration in many people's eyes, of the birth of Christ. You know the word that those magis were told? that You, you go and you find a, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the exact same word that Elizabeth is recorded as having in her womb that leaps at the voice of Mary. You see, John was a baby before he was born, and Jesus was a baby after he was born. And the Bible uses the exact same word. Why? Because of the exact same thing. I, I joke around, uh, well, I did, rather, um, when, when J.D. was born, that it was his nine-month birthday. And everybody kind of looked at the hospital, you know. They see a lot of people. They see a lot of weird people. And they had me there for two days, which means they were, they were encompassed by weird people. Anyways, I started making that joke, and all the nurses kind of looked at me strange. And I said, well, you know, he's been, he's been alive. He's been a baby. He's been JD for nine months now or so. And so this is his nine-month birthday party. We just had to have it at a hospital because that's where it was best. And they didn't understand the joke, but that's true. The, the Bible says that... The person in the womb 
is the exact same person, the exact same type of person that's afterwards when they're wrapped in swaddling clothes and they're laid in a manger. J.D. wasn't laid in a manger because we had a nice bed for him in the hospital. But the Bible calls it the exact same thing. So Jeremiah records that God knew him before he was born. Luke records that, that John the Baptist and Jesus were the exact same type of human being before and after birth. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 17. God hates a person that sheds innocent blood, that murders. The fact of the matter is that biblically speaking, biologically speaking, but not legally speaking, abortion is the innocent the deliberate taking of innocent human life, which means it is nothing more than murder. Number three, we cannot support it, condone it, or turn a blind eye to it. This is something that Christians need to realize. I don't care. I, you know me. If, if you know me, you know me. That's a strange statement. If you know me, you know I, I am not going to talk about your ballot box from this stage or from any of my teachings. But I will say this. The New Testament and the Old Testament make it very clear that a Christian cannot, will not, support or condone or turn a blind eye to the act of deliberate taking of innocent human life. A Christian will not turn a blind eye to any type of sin. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9 it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through, Christ, through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul records, Paul tells the Philippians that he wants them to approve what is excellent. Now he's talking about himself. He's praying that the Philippians will continue to financially support him because they, they're giving money, they're giving approval to the work that, is Paul, that Paul is doing. But the, the implication is that whatever we do, whatever we support, whatever we condone, we are giving approval for that. And a Christian cannot be a person who supports or condones an act as horrible as the deliberate taking of innocent human life. Whether it's through a medical procedure or whether it's through later on when a person takes a, a weapon and harms another individual, it's the exact same thing in the eyes of God. We are deliberately taking the life of a person who is made and created in the image of God through his providence and through his, his creative power that he set down at the at the creation, and that he is continually sustaining, Hebrews says, until the day of judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says this, verse 13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Stand firm in the faith. A Christian has to be a person who stands up to this. We need to be people that people know how we feel about the deliberate taking of innocent human life. As members of the body of Christ, we have to be the people that, that the world can look to for, for guidance on what the Bible says. And the Bible says that it's, it's horrible. 
that it is beyond reprehensible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22 says abstain from every form of evil. It means when it shows up, we turn the other way. We can't turn a blind eye to it. We have to stand up for the faith. We have to stand firm in the faith. We have to let people know what we believe about things. But at the same time, we cannot support it, condone it. And when it shows up as Christians, we have to run away from it. Abstain from every form of evil. Every time that the form of evil is shown, the word abstain means to run, to get away from it. Christians have to be the people that lead the charge so, the, so that the world sees what the Bible actually says about this act. And that means that we have to be willing to preach what we practice. We have to be willing to say what we believe. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're scared to say what you believe on any topic, I'm not just talking about abortion now, on any topic, if you're a Christian and you're scared to tell people what you believe, I think it's time you rethink your Christianity. Because it's not founded in the scriptures. And I would go as far as to say that if you're scared to say what you believe, if you're terrified for people to know what you believe the Bible says and what God has told you through the scriptures, you need to rethink your faith because you may not have any faith to begin with. Christians need to be people that stand up for our beliefs. Christians need to be people that, that do not condone, support, or turn a blind eye to any type of sin. Whether it's the deliberate taking of innocent human life, or whether it's some, something else. We have to be willing to stand up and say, I am a Christian. I will live like a Christian. I will believe like a Christian. And I will die like a Christian. And if we stand faithful, Revelation 2 and verse 10 we will be given a crown of life. If you need to become a Christian this morning, I know that this is not a very encouraging sermon, but it's something that everyone needs to know. We need to realize that the Bible says that the deliberate taking of innocent human life, murder, is a sin on every single continent, in every country, regardless of what the laws say, it's sinful. We need to be people that stand up. We need to be people that practice what we preach and preach what we practice. And if you want to become a Christian and be saved from your sins, the, the interesting thing is I started this off with saying that I know people that are, that are involved in this, and I fully intend on sending them the, rec the recording of this so that they know because they're faithful New Testament Christians who are some of the strongest Christians I have ever met in my life. This morning, they are worshiping somewhere in this country, and I know it because I know how strong they are. And I know that they've been, they've dealt with this, they've actually practiced this, and now they have to live with the life. Well, the good thing is, regardless of what the sin is, whether it's more murder, whether it's abortion, whether it's some other type of sin, we don't have to worry about it because we have the Almighty willing to forgive us. That's the beautiful thing about it. And that's something we need to take from this, is that, yes, it is horrible, but the people that are practicing it, the doctors, the people that are 
that are supporting it and upholding it and, and, and saying that it is a wonderful act. The people that are actually having the procedures, they are still within the reach of God's grace. They can still be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about the scriptures. If you need to become a Christian, let us know so that we can help you. We're willing to help you. We're willing to baptize you for the remission of your sins if you're willing to repent. If you're a Christian and you need prayers, maybe it's because you haven't been standing up for the truth. Maybe it's because of something else. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.